You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You're a marriage and family therapist, and can't think of a better person to be counseling people because you can identify with everything every you know any any client would say. But what what has that been like to make that transition from someone who was experiencing that from someone who was getting counsel, went through a really difficult process, and now here you are on the other end. I had suffered quite a bit of facial abuse, and I had a a, a broken jaw, discovered that I had a broken jaw and a dislocated jaw. One morning, I just couldn't open my mouth, and I was told that I needed to have a jaw joint replacement um, surgery done. Um, I've had over 30 surgeries as a result of um, abuse and have been very sick from lots of diseases that I've contracted from sexual addiction, from abuse, things like that. After the surgery, I developed a, um, uh, a nervous system disorder. Um, very uncommon. I think I'm the 14th person in the world to have it. Wow. And so I have a, I'm in chronic pain, you know, um, all the time, like intense chronic pain. And so that came together around the time, just shortly after I got married. And, um, you know, I really felt led to leave the corporate world and start ministering to these women that um, were left behind, that I really felt like were left behind. And had been, um, because so many, I mean, even in my workplace where there, where abuse was also prevalent, by the way, and I experienced quite a bit of abuse um, in corporate America. That is a story of real suffering, and the great part of Linda's story is that God has redeemed her, and she's able now to give back to those who are suffering the same fate, and that's part of our life support podcast that we produce here at Ridgewood Church in conjunction with KTIS and Faith Radio Network, and that's the kind of stories we tell. We talk about redemption. We talk about how Jesus enters into trauma and suffering, and that's what we're talking about today. James Montgomery Boyce was a renowned theologian. He was the pastor of a church called 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And in May of 2000, he stood up and he made a shocking announcement. He told his congregation that he was suffering from liver cancer. And here's what he said, according to Randy Alcorn's book, God is Good. He said, God is in charge. When things like this come into our lives, they are not accidental. It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not only the one who is in charge, God is also good. Everything he does is good. But some might ask, is he? Is God really good. I mean, eight weeks later, Boyce was dead. His church had to move on without their beloved pastor. We lost a great theologian. The family had to grieve. And so that begs the question that we're dealing with today. God, if you care, why do you allow suffering in the world? Or to put it another way, how could a loving God allow suffering? Now, at some point, as a human being, you are going to be faced with suffering. We all are, whether it be aimed at us or a family member or a friend or an acquaintance. But it's a reality of the world we live in. 
And this morning, what I hope to do is give you hope in the midst of it, to help you to find more of Christ in the midst of it, to help you fall more deeply in love with Christ in the midst of the suffering that may come into your life. Because I believe that Scripture will show today that Boyce was absolutely right. God is in charge, and everything he does is good. And so what I want you to do, if you have your Bible with you, or if you have your phone or your tablet, turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. And if you want to download that, we use the ESV version of the Bible. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. We turn to the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was an expert in suffering. Nobody knew more about it than Paul. Within the earlier letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, the evangelist described himself and his fellow apostles as men sentenced to die. And that's how they lived their lives, in the midst of this constant danger, constant suffering. And here, he makes it clear that he couldn't have made it without God, that God is good. And as long as God was alongside of Paul, he could accomplish anything or get through anything. So 1 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul suffered a lot. And as we explore God's role in suffering, and we grapple with this very difficult question, we first must understand that as human beings, and as a Christian, you will suffer. And the reason that's important to understand is because this is a question that needs to be answered. If we believe that God is good, then why do we suffer? How can we suffer? How can God be good and suffering still takes place? Now, suffering comes in many different shapes and sizes for many different people. We all experience it differently. Sometimes it's consequences of foolish choices that we make. Sometimes it comes in the form of persecution, as it did Paul, or abuse, or broken relationships, or even death. Suffering can be spiritual. It can be physical. It can be emotional. But you will suffer because you live in a broken world. And if you aren't suffering, gird yourself for what might be to come. Now, it's true that suffering is, is it's not unique to Christians, but it's different to the, those who follow Jesus because you need to add in a spiritual component. Because we very clearly have an enemy of our faith that's out to get us. It's out to attack. And you are susceptible to that attack. It comes in the form of discouragement or, or even sickness or whatever Satan might have up his sleeve. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that's a pretty daunting truth. But what I hope this passage in 2 Corinthians does for you is that it encourages you that others have been through suffering and they've gotten through it 
and that God is walking with you in that suffering. Now, let's look at the wording here in verses 8 and 9. The text tells us that the apostles were afflicted. In the Greek, that is to press, to persecute hard. It means that they weren't just skating by. This was real persecution. It was very, very dangerous. It was hard. Yet, Paul says they were not crushed. They were perplexed. In the Greek, to have no way out. They couldn't escape this. There there was no way to get around it, but not driven to despair. They were persecuted, but not forsaken, not left behind by God. They were struck down, but not destroyed. They were left standing. They were still breathing. Did the apostles suffer? 100% yes. But you're not alone in your suffering. Because not only do you have this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you, that are, that are, are rooting you on, but God is with you in suffering. Paul makes a list in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28 of his suffering, and it's pretty mind-boggling. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one, so only 39. I mean, who can, you know, big deal. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so there's real suffering here. I love this last line. Paul cared so much about the churches that he puts that along in his list of suffering. He laid awake at night. He was was so concerned for his flock. So if you are struggling this morning, if you're suffering You're in good company because the Apostle Paul is right there with you. Many of those sitting around you, though you may not know the extent of their suffering, they know what it's like. You're not alone. So as a human being and as a Christian, like Paul, like the Apostles, like James Montgomery Boyce who battled liver cancer in front of his congregation, you will suffer. But the question is, then, God, why do you allow this? And in order to answer that question, we've established that suffering is real, but we also must understand that suffering is not random. Suffering is not a random occurrence. It's not the luck of the draw. If you go back here to 2 Corinthians 4, now verse 10, there's a reason for suffering mentioned here. The apostles were always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What does that mean? It simply means this, that Paul's team of evangelists faithfully proclaimed the death of Jesus, but all along 
their own physical demise was close at hand. They were literally in danger every day of their ministry, and so they could identify with the Lord's suffering. And so they knew to go about their business knowing that God was with them, and their resiliency was a powerful witness for the gospel. They didn't give up. They didn't shrink back. They pressed forward, and that was a huge witness for Jesus. And so they knew as they went about fulfilling the calling that God had given them that suffering happened for a reason. It's not a random thing. They knew that God was in charge. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's crazy thinking. In our culture, share in the suffering. Yes, Paul was saying, because we want to identify with Christ. And so when hardships come into your life, be encouraged that there's no randomness to it. And I've had to wrestle with this question in my own life about the goodness of God and how could he be good when suffering arrives when I lost my first wife, Jody, to cancer, I was left with three young children to raise. And there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. When our son Taylor was murdered, it was a terrible shock. And I thought, how could anything possibly good come out of this? Because it was a devastating blow. But as has some time and space has gotten between those events and the, the presence, the present times, I've been able to realize that God has been working, that God had things planned all along before the foundation of the world. Through that experience of losing a wife, I was able to meet Wendy. I was blessed with Joshua and Reagan. We're able to do ministry together. Because I was still doing some broadcasting in Arizona, my ties to the university allowed dozens and dozens of athletes and administrators to come and hear the gospel at Jody's funeral. And I had the opportunity when one of the star basketball players passed away suddenly through those open doors to preach John 11 in front of about 5,000 people in a college basketball arena. That's what God does. And sometimes it's surprising. When Taylor died, he was dating a girl who was not a believer. And through Wendy's discipleship, she did end up receiving Jesus as her Savior. Her parents were exposed to the gospel in a very dysfunctional home. And because it was such a public thing, God gave us an opportunity to talk about Jesus with not only the perpetrator of the crime, but with pretty much the whole city of Vancouver, British Columbia, because he gave us press conferences, and in the judicial system, we were very much like the family that we see in Brooklyn Center. Thankfully, we could bring Christ with us. But, you see, God had that all worked out. 
And what looked to be a random, terrible event really was God's way of moving the gospel forward. And, and that truth doesn't, it doesn't erase the pain. It, it doesn't take away the ache in my heart that's there every single day. But it has given me perspective. And when I understand that there's no randomness, then I can persevere because I understand that there's a purpose going on that, that only God knows sometimes. But that truth helps me. And I agree with Boyce that God is in charge and everything he does is good. Even if it doesn't appear so at the time. So from a human perspective, what suffering does is it furthers the gospel. It helps develop faith. It helps us to rely on God as he gently moves us toward him. But there's also massive spiritual components here. And now we're getting close to the answer to our question. How could a good God allow suffering in the world? But first I want to deal with this. Suffering touched Jesus so he understands your pain. This is a huge component of how a believer deals with suffering and how suffering can be good because Jesus has suffered as well. He experienced physical abuse beyond anything that I'll ever experience. He experienced sexual abuse as he hung on the cross in front of everyone. Injustice, separation from his father. He experienced death just as many of us know that one day we'll be in those same shoes and we think about that a lot. There's literally nothing that you will experience that Jesus hasn't gone through, that he doesn't understand. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, the Bible tells us, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, and the powerful thing about that passage is not only has Jesus experienced all of the, the suffering values that we've talked about, but he's also experienced temptation. He, he understands what we're dealing with, and so we can, we can come to the throne of grace. And so don't ever be shy about coming to Jesus and offering your heart to him. Don't ever think that you're going to tell him something that he hasn't dealt with before. Let him minister to your soul. And don't be afraid to say, Lord, I am, I am weak. I can't do this. I need you to help me. Because he's waiting there for you. He has suffered in the same way. And secondly, and even more profoundly, and this is the answer to our question. How can a good God allow suffering? Well, this is another spiritual component of this. And 
Here's the answer. The presence of suffering allowed Jesus to atone for sin. It was all a part of God's plan. And Paul referred to it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.10. If you look back there again, and here's what he says about he and the apostles. They were carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Paul so much wanted to get in touch with the suffering of Christ because he understood the depth of importance of what happened on the cross. He understood at that moment death was defeated. He understood at that moment sin was finally dealt with and there was hope for a fallen human race. And Paul so deeply believed this that he wanted to identify with Christ. If we look at Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Man, don't you long to love Jesus so much that you're just longing to walk in his shoes, to understand what he went through, and so you can have an effect on the world. The death of Christ involved horrible suffering. There's just no getting around it. And so in order for the Father's plan of redemption to work, there had to be suffering in the world. Hence the answer to the question. Yes, a good God can allow suffering because he allowed his only son to die at the hands of evil and he experienced suffering. Why did God choose that particular redemptive plan? I don't know. But he did, and it's the perfect plan because he chose it. God allowed sin to enter our world when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and man immediately began to spiral downward. And God did an interesting thing. The first thing he did for Adam and Eve was is that he clothed, he clothed them with the skin of an animal. And that was our first signal that there would be a sacrificial system that would deal with sin until Messiah came. And so for centuries, people would come and they would sacrifice and they would be reconciled to God, but sin was put aside, not dealt with until Messiah came to atone for it. And that's what Jesus did. And man was spiraling downward at such a rate that finally one day the chant of crucify him won the day. And that's just a small part of the suffering that Jesus went through in order to atone for sin. If you look at Isaiah 53, 4, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet how do we treat him? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We just kind of wrote him off. But yet here was Jesus doing all of this. The, the original Hebrew word for born, by the way, implies both the taking upon himself and taking away from others. And so the Lord took every sin that had ever been committed or ever would be committed and took it upon himself so that through faith in him, the price has already been paid for sin and we could have a relationship with God. 
But by faith, he could also take sin away from you and from me. And the significance of that is eternal. You can be free from sin and death. You can be free from the wrath of God that is aimed at sin. Make no mistake about it. God will not deal with sin. God is holy and righteous, but he has offered a way for us to escape the consequences of sin through faith in Christ. And this is so important that you understand that. It's also important that people around us understand that. That's why we're talking about who's your one. Who's the person that you're going to be praying for? Who's the person that you're going to introduce this incredible good news to? If you write a name on on that wall, then pray like crazy that God would give you opportunities and that person would hear about the gospel because this is important. And what did Jesus get for his trouble? He, He was treated like a leper. People ran away from him. They called him a fraud. They ended up killing him. And even today, people are still denying the fact that he is who he says he is. And people are trying to earn their way to heaven when all Jesus is saying is, believe in me, the Son of God, Messiah, and you can be saved. And ultimately, suffering visited him in the most horrific of ways. And it couldn't be so unless there was already suffering in the world. And suffering isn't unique to any one person. You will suffer, I will suffer, but the very fact that suffering was already in the world and allowed for God's redemptive plan to happen means that it's not random and it has a purpose. So, as we close, I want to run through just some personal applications of how this affects your life because we know now that God allows suffering, he uses it for good. We understand the big concept that suffering needed to be here for Christ to suffer. But first, in your life, suffering brings glory to God. And that's the first reason this is important. And here's why this matters to you. It's that when you suffer well, when you suffer in faith, when you believe what you say you believe, then you shine an incredible light for the gospel, and you glorify God. And I think we sometimes forget, this is the reason that we were created, to glorify God. And suffering brings that out. In 1 Timothy 6.6, Paul wrote that godliness with contentment is great gain. And at the cross, that's where God's glory shines magnificently. And as we now Believers in the church age suffer well. We shine God's glory forth as well. Secondly, God allows suffering because it can grow his children. The process of suffering can bring you closer to God. In fact, I would argue that this is his best way. When suffering has entered my life, each time I've had to make a decision. I've had to decide, am I going to take a road toward God where he can hone me and He can change me and he can make me more like him or am I going to run away and become bitter and angry and hopeless? And when we're willing to submit to him, then he can make us new. He can make us like him. And of course, the cross 
is a part of that as well. And this happened in Linda's life. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the, fl- in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's what it means to suffer well and live for the glory of God. And finally, and this is in no way an exhaustive list, but this is effective for you because God allows suffering to help his children long for home. This is not where you belong. This is not where you're going to end up. And so suffering helps loosen our grip on this world. I can't imagine without suffering how I would even care if there's a heaven. But you see, Jesus through suffering is is prying our fingers off of this steering wheel and he's calling us to a place that will be forever, no more crying, no more pain, no more violence, no more heartache. And so you can see that God has a rich plan in suffering. Why has God allowed suffering? Because it made it possible for Christ to suffer. And therefore, it is not random. And he will use it in your life for good. And that's the message of the Bible. At some point, you as a human being, you're going to be faced with the reality of suffering. But there's a place to find hope in that suffering. And that place is at the feet of the cross. It's where God dwells. The loving plans of God have prepared you to face whatever is coming your way. And his plans for your life are meticulous. They're not accidental. He knows you. He loves you. You may be sitting there this morning and saying, nobody knows me. Nobody understands me. And and there's many Proverbs that talk about the loneliness of the human heart. Who can understand it? But but God does know you. cares about you. And so when you suffer, he's right there with you, and he's bringing something good out of that. And so the Bible, for me, clearly expresses that James Montgomery Boyce was right. God is not only in charge. God is also good. And everything he does is good. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for this amazing truth that we can cling to on even our darkest days. A truth that we can walk friends through suffering with. A truth that we can form our worldview around. And God, I pray for those here today that may be struggling, suffering, In a way, we're all suffering together through this virus. And Lord, to know that it's not random, to know that you have a purpose in it, makes it somehow bearable. But God, I pray that you would continue to remind this beautiful flock that you have a plan for each one, that you know them intimately, that your love never ever is based on how they're doing today, how they did yesterday, how they do in the future. It's based on relationship with you, Jesus. What a gift. Thank you for suffering, Jesus.
Thank you for going through all of that to save people like us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.